Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's another one of those where the episode number is a football formation. It's one up top in a 4-5-1 today. And if you have listened to all 450 before this, well, God bless you. Thank you. You're a glutton for punishment, I think you might say. But it's very, very much appreciated. A good show for you today. Although that makes it sound like there are shows which aren't good. Which I guess there must be along the way, 451 episodes in there must be so much aren't aren't good I guess that's not for me to judge but I don't set out deliberately to make a not good show I always try and do a good one but I think this is a good one because uh, we've got a lot to talk about between now and the end of this particular podcast not least because it's been a good week for the Arsenal two wins away to Burnley and at home to Huddersfield uh, we got uh, two more clean sheets under our belt six points we're well established in the uh, top four now Tottenham of course are not they've they've sort of slipped backwards the other way. It's almost as if there has been a shift of power. Yes, there you go. No, I mean, there there clearly hasn't been a shift of power back the other way because there would have had to have been a shift of power in the first place. But, you know, all the people who were talking about how great Tottenham were a couple of weeks ago, remember how they were they were going to do us, they were going to be this, they were going to be that, and all of a sudden there's, you know, we've overtaken them. Shows you how quickly things can happen in football. But we've got that all to talk about, not necessarily the Tottenham thing. We don't really talk about them at all in this podcast because they're more or less irrelevant. Um, but we're going to talk about the Huddersfield game. We're also going to talk about stuff that that's happened off the pitch as well. This week we uh, made another appointment uh, to the backroom staff, to the uh, executive level. Raul Senyei, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm very sorry if I've got that wrong. Spanish speakers or native Spanish speakers. My Spanish is, is poor, but I think that's right. If I'm wrong, I will happily and gladly be corrected because I am open to learning new things. That's all I can say about that. But anyway, he is he's arrived, former Barcelona director of football. He's definitely not the director of football at Arsenal because, well, you know, we, we, we don't like that kind of thing around here. Director of football, I don't know what it means. Is it somebody who stands on the road in direct play right and left I don't understand I never could understand what it means director of football so 100% not a director of football but uh, head of football relations uh, so when you add that to the appointment of Sven Mislintat uh, who arrived from Borussia Dortmund who will be arriving from Borussia Dortmund imminently uh, to become our head of recruitment you know shit's happening shit's going down behind the scenes And all jokes aside, these are quite uh, significant appointments when you think about what's gone on in the era of Arsene Wenger. You know, what has happened at these really top-level 
positions at Arsenal Football Club. Who's been added to the Arsenal board in that time? I mean, we've lost uh, Peter Hillwood, David Dean, Danny Fisman, uh, Lady Nina. They've all gone. So who went on the board? We got Stan and Josh Kroenke. That's it. I mean, that's not something that anybody can get particularly excited about. Ivan Gazidis, of course, came on board uh, a while after David Dean left. Dick Law was our head of uh, head of recruitment or or chief negotiator. I think that's uh, that was his title. Uh, but you know, the 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 board is needed. This freshening up in terms of football knowledge, in terms of contacts, in terms of the modern game, and uh, the the guy from Barcelona is going to provide some of that. So we're going to talk about that between now and the end of the show. We're also going to get a look ahead to the game against uh, Manchester United. We'll be previewing that with Musa Okwanga a little bit later on, and I guess there'll be some other stuff as well, if I can think of it, between now and the end of the show. If not, then there won't be any of that stuff. So... So let's not worry about it. There's no point worrying about a thing that didn't happen if it wasn't going to happen in the first place. It'd be like getting really upset about having an imaginary dog and the imaginary dog being run over by an imaginary car. I mean, it didn't exist, except for in your head. But what if everything that exists is only in your head? Do you ever think about that? And you're saying, well, how can how can everything that exists only be in my head if if things that exist are in other people's heads too, like we can all share experiences and and relationships and things, we can all see the same stuff. My answer to that is, how the fuck would I know? I'm not a scientist. I'm not here to make up crackpot theories and then explain them. We're here to talk about football and Arsenal. So let's start doing that with my first guest today, Philippe Auclair. Hi, Philippe. Good morning to you. Let's start with uh, Arsenal 5, Huddersfield nil, an emphatic victory, some really enjoyable moments, a couple of great individual performances, particularly in the second half. But uh, before we get into all the praise of it, it, it wasn't quite as one-sided as the scoreline suggested. And that was something that Arsene Wenger made note of after the game as well. Yeah, I, I was in the stands for once. I wasn't in the press box. I was with my good friends. And uh, much as we, we liked the uh, first 15, 20 minutes um, and with this wonderful goal by Lacazette, more about it later, uh, there was definitely a period during which, in fact, Huddersfield really threatened to, to get back into the game and to get something out of it. And uh, it was a bit odd, uh, a bit odd. And suddenly uh, some kind of, I mean, the wind seems to have come out of the sails and the pass the passes were played backwards and laterally again um some players were struggling to have an impact on the game and there was also a little bit of nervosity at at the back yeah on some on some occasions uh, even Petr Cech didn't look completely uh, reassured i mean you will remember what happened when he punched that uh, that ball onto the uh, uh, onto the bar mm. and there were quite a few um, moments when didn't feel you know too um um, too confident about about the game, thinking, "Oh no, here we go again." And then uh, I think what you saw was um, a few moments of genuine, very very high quality were enough to uh, uh, to put a lot of light between the two sides. And um, I have to say that um, as as far as five nil goes, the quality of the goals was absolutely stupendous, every single one of them, and in in very different fashions. Which was interesting. Yeah, but they all they all ended up being scored. Well, four of them ended up being scored from more or less the same position in the Huddersfield box, uh, yes. <laughs> which is quite interesting as well, isn't it? Yes, indeed, in the box. Yes, uh, but if you look at the build-ups, I mean, yes, the first superb. one, which is you know, they're quite they're, they're very different, and and 
But again, uh, one thing which was in common with um, a majority of them was the importance of uh, Mesut Ozil when he is fit. Yeah. And what he brings to this side when he's on song, which seems to be the case uh, at the moment, which is very good news before the game against Manchester United, even though there are some very, very bad news indeed uh, before the game. And uh, it seems, I mean, please uh, uh, tell me I'm wrong, but it looks as if uh, Alexandre Lacazette will be out for, you know, I wouldn't say for a while because I don't want to tempt fate, but yeah. at least he will miss the game against Manchester United. When he had the first 45 minutes he gave were absolutely superb. Yeah, unfortunately, superb. I, I can't tell you that you're wrong. Uh, Arsene Wenger said that he might be out for a while. And I think what he, what he showed in those first 45 minutes, even if he was, I think, slightly hampered by the injury for a mm. period in, in that first half. But, but certainly the movement that he has uh, playing as the front man. Aaron Ramsey, the flick was superb. People talk about Ramsey's flicks not working, but when they do work, uh, you know, they, they instantly have the opposition going the wrong way and Lacazette going the right way. And I have to say, I, have n- I haven't felt quite as assured as I do when I see an Arsenal striker through on goal with Lacazette uh, for, for quite a long time. I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to score when he went through. And a difficult finish, by the way, yeah. not obvious at all. I mean, he had to put the right amount of spin on the ball just to go past the keeper. And and what is very encouraging is the type of relationship that is uh, happening between him and Ramsey. And it's something that most of Wenger's better teams, well, all of Wenger's better teams, have been founded also on relationships, I would say privileged relationships between two players. And it can be uh, in midfield, it can be in attack between, you know, say, uh, Dennis and uh, and Freddie, for example. Yeah. And I'm sure we all have other examples in mind. And there seems to be something happening between those two. And and like I said, as a real, he, he dialogues with his, his, his teammates, obviously. They understand his runs. And um, it's, it's very, very frustrating. Uh, on, well, let's look to the positive side of things. I was talking to a friend of mine who's been watching Olympique Lyonnais for about 20 years and has seen Lacazette coming from the ranks and uh, all the way to Arsenal. And he was telling me what you're starting to see with Lacazette is the very, very best Lacazette I saw in all my time in Lyon. He's coming back to his proper level. Um, so that's, that's, that's very encouraging. Yeah. There are many, many other things about um, this, um, th- this performance. Sure. It was... Huddersfield, who tend to crumple away a little bit, so we have to um, to be a bit careful. On the other hand, I think like many others, I thought after the uh, the win over Spurs, I thought mm, Burnley Huddersfield, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, you know, typical. I think, oh, you know, we're going to waste loose points. We haven't, uh, and in yeah. fact, not only we haven't, we haven't conceded a goal uh, since then. So um, we haven't conceded a goal in how many games now? Uh, since since Manchester City, so since after the international break, we, okay, we since have after a, the international break, yeah. so three clean sheets in a row. Yeah, uh, that's um, something like um, I mean about twenty seven thousand wins on the trot at home, <laughs> which is um, which is good news. And the team seems in in good spirits and uh, in good shape. And um, it's interesting because I'm I was at um, uh, the Emirates last night, uh, freezing. Absolutely freezing. But I was even colder the night before when I watched Manchester United at Watford. Mm. And um, I I was both impressed and unimpressed with Manchester United on that night. Um, they don't seem to be able to put 90 minutes together yet. 
So it's a question of finding and exploiting sure. the strong moments, I think, against United, and of which there will be some. Um, and if that's the case, well, who knows? Mm. Let me, let's just go back to Lacazette and uh, not necessarily mm. him, but, but his absence going into oh. this game at the weekend. I, I don't think there's any doubt he would have started had he been fit. Yes. The manager now has a decision to make about what way to approach this. Olivier Giroud came on and scored twice, which is great and is, uh, will give him a confidence boost and, and remind us that he is a player who can contribute when he comes off the bench. Do you feel like that would be the best way to approach this game to, to keep him in reserve as somebody who can uh, do something if we need to? And then he's got a decision to make about how he fills the Lacazette gap whether it's with Danny Welbeck or whether it's with Alexis, Alexis Sanchez? I think Alexis would be an obvious one. Um, if, if you want to use Giroud as um, an impact sub, he's got a decent record against Manchester United, by the way. Yeah. Um, I remember a very, 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 very pleasant goal he scored against those guys. Um, and um, I would say Alexis would be a, a, a possibility. Um the thing is that you're going to play against a three-man defence. Um, Olivier Giroud on his own like this against a three-man defence, especially the defence which is, I think, well-equipped to deal with somebody of his stature. I mean, Chris Smalling is not you know, the greatest central defender on the planet, but he's, he's good on one-on-ones. And mm. you know, the physical side of thing, he can certainly uh, uh, mix it up, as they say. Uh, and, and Giroud might not be necessarily the most obvious option um, to to field against that type of, of defense. Maybe a more mobile center center forward yeah. would do the trick, which means either Danny or uh, or Alexis. Um, I would imagine that in a big game like this one, Wenger would um, would use, uh, especially at home. Uh, would use Alexis rather than um, than than Welbeck. But does um, Welbeck then take Alexis's place on the left hand side? Absolutely, and since he does a lot of um, he does a lot of work off the ball as well, mm. I'd have him anyway. Um, because I, I I still think that apart from the performance against Spurs, um, the, the best game of the season was against Chelsea at the Bridge when when Welbeck was truly excellent in that role and uh, with Iwobi, and they were harrying uh, the back three. And having two very mobile support strikers, I don't know how you would call them, or inside forwards. Yeah. Having two very mobile inside forwards to accompany somebody who is quite willing to, to put himself about at, at the top of the at, attack, that creates problem for a three-man defense. That creates real problems. Uh, even though, and, and also, you know, you know, Mourinho, you've seen his record against top six teams away from home. It's absolutely abysmal. You've seen the way he, he actually puts them together. Um, you won't see Paul Pogba with just Nemanja Matic. You'll probably see Nemanja Matic under Herrera and Paul Pogba, something like that. Yeah. So he probably stiffen up the, the midfield. So we're going to have to find other solutions, basically. And we're not going to overrun the midfield, that's for sure. Yeah. And and I would be tempted by putting, you know, dynamism and um, I would hope that that you know, it would be a speed and and dynamism and and pressing high pressing of the pitch which is going to be the order of the day sure. in which case Alexis with Welbeck and, and Mesut yeah Mesut Ozil of course has had a, a, a very good couple of weeks even if he missed the game against Burnley uh, had a fantastic performance against Spurs last night he had uh, two assists and a goal I, I, before we just talk about his impact I, I just want to ask you about the technique that he showed to score that goal I don't know if you noticed but he, he kicked the ball into the ground and, so, ground, yeah. and bounced 
pitched it over the goalkeeper. It's like, I don't know how you even, I don't know how you do that. I mean, obviously, when you go through, you, you can kind of click clip it with your toe over the goalkeeper, and that's what most players would do. But to do it the way that he did it is amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I must say I had to watch the uh, the replay about three or four times. Yeah, same. Am I seeing the same thing here? Yeah. And it's not just the execution, which it's already very difficult. But just to think that, I mean, he knows he's going to be one-on-one with the keeper. He's obviously made his decision in in a flash. That's, that is absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. But I, I, I even prefer the, um, I must say, the, the, the build-up. Uh, with this beautiful one-two and the flick and, and the one-two for uh, for Giroud's goal, uh, that is totally sublime. Yeah, um, and with him in this kind of um, uh, of form. Um, yeah, it could be it could be very interesting indeed. And he is the guy, if we are looking for somebody to open up the Manchester United defence, who can play that final pass, who does have that ability to to pick a pass in the final third. Arsene Wenger spoke about him after the game, and he, he was quite defensive in some ways about uh, Mesut Ozil and his performances, and says, you know, if you watch Arsenal regularly, you'll know that Mesut Ozil yeah. is a great player. But he said he has added something in the last couple of weeks, you know, a bit more fight, a bit more defensive awareness, I think you would say, uh, and perhaps he's getting a reward for that in in what he can do in the uh, in the final third as well. Yep. Um, as to why it is happening now and not before, um, I mean, some people say, well, he's coming into the last six months of his contract. He wants to impress. He wants to remind people all over Europe that uh, how good a player he is. There's a World Cup coming, and all these sort of things. Okay, perhaps. Um, I think, uh, as, 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 I'm, as I'm sure is the case for you, it's a case of, of wonder to have a player like uh, Mesut Ozil, as classy and as beautiful a player. It's also a, it's also so, such a frustrating experience yeah. for us. We've been seeing him, and uh, um, be it, uh, you know, sometimes it was injuries that, that slowed him down. Other time, he, he fell into some kind of comfort zone and um, ap- ap- apathy almost. And we are seeing the real Mesut Ozil. And... Um, we're seeing the Mesut Ozil that a club precisely like Manchester United would be very, very happy to um, add to their squad. I know, I know, to their squad last year. Mm. And um, it might surprise people to hear that because thinking, well, come on, he's not hardworking enough for Jose Mourinho. Well, uh, yes, he is. He was actually playing at his best football under Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and they lack somebody who is genuinely creative uh, in that part of the field. They don't have it. Um, we do <laughs> for yeah. the time being so let's make the most of it guys <laughs> alright well look let's hope he can uh, let's hope he can do it again I mean look, the people people have accused him of not turning up in big games uh, he did it against Spurs I don't agree with this one I think the games no. he tends to really turn up are the big games and, and I think he, he played one of the very very best games of his career in the in the final of the 2014 World Cup uh, yeah. uh, and there cannot be a bigger game than this one. No. And, and look, I think it's quite reductive in a way because people talk about Ozil not turning up in a big game for Arsenal, perhaps away from home where, where our record has not been great. But then you could say that of every player. You know, it's, yep. it's team performances that are the issue in those big games. Um, and, you know, I, I think he gets a, a bit of unfair stick in, in that regard. But look, let's move on from football and what's been happening on the pitch to some very, very interesting things that are happening off the pitch at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. 
So last week we appointed uh, the former Borussia Dortmund uh, head scout Sven Mislintat as the head of recruitment, which I think is a very interesting title. I'd be curious to hear about your your thoughts on that because it really it's a title that implies some power and some influence, doesn't it? Very much so. Um, and obviously, I mean that's the confirmation of what you know we've heard. On, on the ground for a while. And by the way, to simplify matters, we're going to call them Sven and Raul. Sven and Raul. Yeah, I'm, 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 looking, at, I'm looking at his uh, surname and I'm, I'm struggling I a little no bit. I have no idea how you pronounce it. I presume it's uh, Sanye. I I w- you should know. You're, I know I should know, but yeah, look, I know. I've, I've lived in Spain, but I've never seen that. I'm just Sanye, I think. Yeah, uh, so it's Raul from now on. R- Sven so- and Raul. Yeah, let's, let's make it easy for ourselves. Absolutely, and for everybody else, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's there have been noises um, around the club that we were due for major changes and major upheaval uh, during the summer. Uh, that we were going to see the, a bright, shiny new Arsenal, which is basically the one that Ivan Kazaitis has been talking about for a while. Uh, and obviously, I think we we all draw the same conclusions: is that we are very much in the, the latter latter stages of the Wenger era. Um, because the people who have been recruited are exactly the kind of people that Arsene didn't want to have around him. Um, mm. As in somebody, I mean, uh, when you talk about Raul, Raul is not somebody who is going to come back to you and say, by the way, I've seen this fantastic player, we've got to sign him. No, what he does is the facilitator, is the man with the address book, uh, he's, he's the- got the mobile numbers of every agent, player, board member you can imagine. Yeah. He may- things happen and in a way is a kind of a turbo version of what David Dean was yeah. uh, in the good old days uh, but of course profiting from you know he spent I think nine years uh, at Barcelona where he looked after um, basically transfer dealings and not all of them were great successes uh, but again that's not the point the point is that he made the transfers happen yeah. uh, which is the important bit including the Neymar transfer which means he probably has a couple of interesting stories to tell. Um, I hope he won't have to tell them in front of a jury at one point, but that's a different matter altogether. Um, no, he's, he will bring the kind of, probably the, the kind of, not probably, he will bring the expertise that is needed to uh, close deals at the very highest level, uh, something which um, Declaw basically um, has been doing, but perhaps, you know, he doesn't, Declaw, um, with all due respect, is not quite the same kind of a, aura or uh, influence in European football. So that's one one side of um, the um, uh, of the changes. And the other, which is even more interesting, because you could imagine Wenger working with, you know, a kind of super negotiator. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and you would actually imagine that he would be quite relieved not to have to discuss about um, bonuses and this and that with uh, uh, with opposing parties. But when it comes to Sven, that's, that is different, because Sven is exactly the kind of uh, person whom uh, Wenger was asking the worth and the legitimacy of. I'm sure you will find this press conference last season, was it? Yeah. When he was asked about um, sports directors and technical directors, and he basically said, you know, um, in the word of, of a famous soul man, what are they good for? <laughs> and um, and uh, he wasn't too convinced then, because obviously this is different. This is uh, Sven, even though he's not the guy who will find, uh, let's say, like um, 
Uh, I think, like for example, Jimmy Ryan, who was the first guy to uh, check out Cristiano Ronaldo at Sporting mm. when he was 14 or 15, and Jimmy Ryan uh, alerted Fergie to, to, to him. That's not what Sven does. Um, the players he's brought to Borussia Dortmund are players who had already, in a way, had an impact, but people perhaps were not quite sure whether they could have an impact at an even higher level. And you know, when people talk about you know, Shinji Kagawa, for example, and, and there are mm. plenty of other examples, but he brought those players and when they were at a relatively early stage of their development or he saw qualities in, in those guys, which meant that they could be, become part of a top, top team in Bundesliga and Europe. So well, that is very interesting because that's the kind of job that normally you would say is Arsene. This Arsene has always considered to be his prerogative. Sure. So, so you have to ask yourself, how can Arsene carry on? Can I just stop you there before we before we go yes. on to the to the Arsene or what it might mean for Arsene Wenger? And in relation to Sven, is it is it not quite strategic from an Arsenal point of view in a transfer era where we cannot compete with the biggest clubs for the biggest names that mm-hmm. being able to identify these players who are on the cusp of developing into really really good players, top players, is exactly yep. where we need to be? And particularly, I think. Um, when it comes to our scouting network, you know, we've seen a generation, a fantastic generation of young French players emerge, which was always yeah. the strength of Arsenal. And not one of them has come to, to this club, whereas in the past, two or three would probably be at Arsenal at this point, that our, our, our scouting operation in general has required something of an overhaul because we are missing the top talent that we would have previously been able to, to attract. Yeah, and the thing is that you need to identify this top, top talent, as Wenger would say, uh, at an always earlier age. Mm. Um, I was talking to the head of recruitment of um, a premiership club. I, I, won't, I won't name him, but quite recently. And I was talking about the, the Kylian Mbappe case. And I was asking him, um, how soon would uh, a club like Arsenal or, or where a club X would have had to move to get a Kylian Mbappe? And the guy said, probably when he was 12 or 13 years of age. He said, after that, it was already too late. You know, he went for a, a trial at Chelsea, Mbappe. Not many people know that. I didn't know that. When was that? He, oh, he was very, very young. Uh, he was 11 or 12, something like that. And he spent a week at Chelsea. Right. Um, so obviously they knew what they were doing because they let him go. Um, and and he, he was actually already set in uh, um, for uh, an absolutely amazing career from the age of 14 or 15. People knew it would be the case. Yeah. So at, at this kind of level, that's that, that what's happening. But if you talk, talk about Sven and what he did, um, and, and let's t- talk about some precise examples. I, I named Shinji Kagawa. Shinji Kagawa was not an unknown. But the two very um, interesting examples are Usman Dembele, who's just gone to Barcelona for an awful lot of money, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, who will go from Borussia Dortmund from an awful lot of money. Now, I wouldn't say that either of those players belongs to the kind of stratosphere of world football. They're both remarkably good. Um, Usman Dembele, I think, is much superior to Aubameyang, but for personality reasons, mm. but that's different. They were already, I remember Aubameyang, when he was at Saint-Étienne, and Dembele, when he was still playing in Liga, and he was only like 17, everybody knew that those guys would make it to a very high level a top European club. Everybody knew. It was not a question of scouting. That's not scouting. That's just uh, common knowledge. aware yeah. of, of what's going on. And the thing is that 
um, Sven was the guy who was able to get it happen. That which is, you know, you're talking about the players we we have missed out on. I can tell you there's one at the moment which I have at the back of my mind when it comes to Arsenal is Awa, the, the young uh, attacking midfielder or yet another inside forward from Olympique Lyonnais. Now, he's only played a handful of games. Um, he's, he's only just arrived in the team. He's been known for a while in the youth team, of course. And Lyon is renowned for being able to produce those incredibly technically gift, no, but gifted, skillful yeah. players like Nabil Fekir. Uh, whom I've been boring you with for a long time, and I think you know why. Yeah. Um, and and also I would say, well, now look at Awa, because Awa is probably very much is in the same mold, he's very young, he's not going to be as expensive, and he's the kind of player that I can completely imagine Sven going for and Raul getting to the club. <laughs> right. So that's the kind of players we're, we're talking at. And that, that's a bit of a revolution because, you know, I think we all agreed that the, the structure which was in place had worked really well for a while because, you know, we were the only ones looking at those um, uh, those markets. Uh, you talk about the French market, but I'm also thinking, for example, the uh, and I apologize for using the word market, which is horrible in a way. Um, I don't know where you, I don't know how to call it at that. Else. I mean, it is, that's what market. it is. It is a market. Yeah. So the African market. Yeah. No, I understand you your know, reservation with that, but yeah, you know, that's what I, it is. You know, other people are, are, are and, and also who are, I mean, have we really got, um, have we got what it takes in the South American market? Um, I don't know anymore. I mean, at one point I remember being explained the, the, the pyramidal nature of Arsenal's scouting and recruitment structure which very much had Arsene as the tip of the pyramid and, um, and a very large base and then, you know, all sorts of the different stages. I think it's quite old-fashioned that way of doing things mm. in a way so that having this one point of control where you've got people reporting to you and saying, I've noticed this guy is really good, this, 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 that. I think it's changed already in terms of analysis of, 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 of the players' qualities. There's now um, a lot of people working at the club who are trying to um, uh, help uh, Arsene make, make up his mind with all sorts of, um, well, you know, stats and, and very in-depth analysis of the players' strengths and weaknesses and so forth and video analysis and so on. But you've got to go to the next stage, yeah, um, which is a fragmentation of managerial power which is something that Arsene has seen coming for a while. Okay, well, let me let me ask you this then, because um, w w what we're taking is a, a, a sort of a revolution in terms of what's happening at the club because Arsene has been there for so long and he's done things his way. I mean, I think even the fact that, that Steve Rowley, the chief scout, is, is being let go. Arsene said this week he's going to stay and do some youth stuff. But, you know, he, he very rarely loses any of his staff Arsene Wenger. Uh, they, they stay and he's loyal to them and, and everything else. But we brought in Sven, who's going to be head of recruitment, a position which implies power and responsibility, even if it is working in tandem with the manager, which is what Arsene Wenger said. Then we brought in Raul, who is definitely not a director of football. Let's make that clear. He is not yep. a director of football. He's head of football relations. Where the distinction is, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. But what we are seeing clearly is structures being put in place for life 
after Arsene Wenger. So when we go out and we bring in a new coach, whoever that might be, this coach is there and he's working within the structures that are commonplace at most big modern football clubs. This is the way they do things. The manager doesn't have all that power. So on one hand, it raises some questions about what it means for the future for Arsene Wenger. There's speculation perhaps that this, this things might be handed over in the summer so we don't go through that final year thing again. The questions, the constant questions of... Uh, are you staying? What do you? What's your decision? What's the club going to do? And it, it casts this shadow and this. Uh, it, it's a burden for the football club, as we saw last season when that was hanging over us. But uh, you know, is there also the possibility that? Arsene Wenger is open to this help. That he is open to these people coming in and helping him, perhaps make a success of, if not his last season, but his last season and a half at the club, and perhaps being able to do something in the Premier League that he hasn't been able to do since 2004. Yeah, but that's a that's a very interesting point, Andrew. And um, at times I've been thinking, no, there's no way he can work with these people. And now I'm changing my I'm changing my opinion. And I'm thinking, in a way, this other great tenet of um, of Wenger's philosophy has been, I want to leave the club in a better state yeah. than I found it. And ideally, what you'd like, what he could see himself as is almost like a ferryman um, role, as they say in Italy, where you go to the other side of the of the river and once you're safely there, you say goodbye. I've done my job now, you can, you can go on your way. And also, I come back to this conversation um, I, I had with him uh, about two months ago, you know, when we did this FWA event in, in London. And he was, it was fascinating to hear him talk about how his job was changing and how very soon decisions were going to make, be made collegially. And even, even he said, like, the teams could be picked by people who are going to have such a, an acute knowledge of in which state a particular player is and so forth. And so decisions are going to be, you know, there's going to be anatomization of the decision-making process. And he didn't seem to be too shocked by that. I thought, this is interesting, Arsene. You would never have told me that yeah. a year ago uh, or two years ago. You would have said that, that you know, there has to be a, a, a vision, a, a man who embodies this vision, or a man or a woman who embodies this vision. And he seemed to be much more open towards a more collegial, shall I say, uh, leadership in which the manager is the head coach and obviously had an input when it comes to identify uh, the areas of the team in which there have to be reinforcements, but something which is perhaps closer, for example, to the way that uh, Pochettino is working with with, uh, with Levy in, at Tottenham, where uh, it's not Pochettino who chooses the players, it's that uh, it's actually Levy who does all the, all the stuff. And they, they draw lists of players, which they do on, on the continent, by the way. That's the way it works, yeah. everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So, you know, we need a left back. Okay, here are five names. Now, go on and, and find them, rather than, I want this one. Yeah. And it will be this one and no, none other. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm like you. I think that it could happen that... Arsene would carry on for the second year of, of this contract, particularly if uh, the team in the club is able to exploit the one big advantage it has this season is the fact that we're not in Europe. We're in the Europa League, but who cares? I mean, we might care about it in, uh, in April, okay? Until then, until that time, it's great to give a bit of game time to the guys who don't get much. Yeah. Whereas the others, and we can see uh, the effect it has particularly on Spurs, 
Uh, it's pretty clear that they have a problem now. I wasn't sure about it, but now I think it's pretty clear. You see the difference between the European performances and the, and, and the, and the league performances. It, you know, that's obviously the problem. We don't have this problem. So it could be that you finish the season actually in pretty decent shape in the sports fashion, having gone back into the top four. I mean, I'm not... You know, I'm not counting my chickens for that. Sure, I get what you. What saying is that there are encouraging signs of late, uh, precisely the kind of results we've had, the results at home, which are very strong, uh, the, a couple of performances, uh, the fact that, you know, we've been able to, to beat Burnley, which not everybody does. Um, and and, and you, imagine, you can imagine that Arsene is going to be a bit more contented. Perhaps people are going to be a little bit less on his back as well if things happen that way. Yeah. You like, know, the Wenger out brigade have been a bit on the, have been a bit quiet recently. Have you noticed? Well, look, you know, it, it's dependent on results, and I think exactly. you know, uh, results results have been good. But I think as well, the part of the frustration people have with Arsene Wenger is this inherent stubbornness. You know, the the, the yeah. quotes that you referenced earlier on about you know what's a director of football? Is he somebody who directs traffic left and right? It's like, come on, you exactly. know exactly what a director of football does, and everyone understands. Uh, you know, why you would object to having somebody who comes in and takes away your power and foists players on you and has an influence on team selection. Like, we all understand that. But, you know, maybe just say that. And he did say, in fairness to him, at the same time, I'm always open to uh, working with people who can help and who can help the club. And I think perhaps this is what this is what we're seeing now with the, the appointment of Sven and Raul, who will uh, arrive in, in February, um, not before the January transfer window, which is interesting, but there you go. But I think, you know, just, just very quickly and very finally, we, we have to look at it maybe in the in the bigger context as well. When we look at what's going to happen next season, Per Mertesacker is going to take over the academy. We did bring in Jens Lehmann. We brought in a new contract yep. negotiator. We're bringing in these two guys. It does feel like at last there are structural changes and the club is beginning to future-proof itself and get ready for what is going to be a new era and perhaps a difficult new era because when you lose a manager who's been at a club as long as Arsene Wenger has, it can be quite seismic, as we've seen elsewhere. Um, I entirely agree with you. And uh, I think there are reasons to be reasonably optimistic. And I say reasonably optimistic. Sure. uh, Because we're still talking about Stan Kroenke here, who doesn't quite have the kind of record, um, this kind of record certainly in... um, in American sports, yeah. uh, of being somebody who looks at you know what's going to happen in the future, and perhaps the difference is that Arsenal is um, well. First of all, it's a football club; it's the Premier League. It's a completely different context, and perhaps it is a sign that um, actually Gazidis is very serious about what he sees for the club future, and perhaps that he has more say, and it has been he's been given the authority to. Uh, well, to, to make progress in that side of things, because I can't imagine that this is masterminded from Colorado. I, I, I don't know. No, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely not. Uh, so it's got to be from here. And if it is from here, it is uh, Ivan Gasaitis, uh, quite clearly. And um, so, yes, it is. It is unique in the uh, thing, the Kronkosphere. Um, the Kronkosphere. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, which is a weird uh, layer of the atmosphere to which we do not have access. No, no. And uh, um, also it is a, um, if you look at the way that the other Premier League clubs are set up, it is also, should this be a success? Because we don't know. But should this happen, 
uh, would actually put Arsenal in really good stead compared to the way that some other clubs are, are managed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't say become, you know, flag bearers, but certainly be oh, back in the driving, you know, as a driving force sure. behind the, the renewal of, of, of the way that we think about a football club. But I don't want to sound too optimistic. You know, we'll see um, the, all these things about people, um, the guy who signed this, the man who discovered that. I mean, how many times have I heard this type of, of yeah. spiel? To find out that the guy actually, yeah, he'd been pretty good, but in fact, it was not really him who discovered him, uh, this or discovered that. How many people have discovered Gareth Bale, eh? Yeah. Uh, 27 at the last count. How many people were aware that Neymar was going to be uh, the successor of Cristiano Ronaldo? I mean, yeah. 173,000? I mean, I don't know. No, I know I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But look, at I, least, yeah. you know, something is being done. And uh, exactly. after a long time with people saying, well, it's so static, it's so... it's." It's actually entropy. Uh, yeah. No, there is movement now. There is some kind of motion going on, and let's hope it's the right kind of motion. Okay, I, I don't think I can uh, back you up any more than that. I think it's, uh, you know, we, we wait and see, but, you know, f- to see something happening, to see those positive signs, it does give you a bit of encouragement after some years where we were wondering where any of that was going to come from when we looked at yep. what was happening behind the scenes, looking at the board, looking at the football expertise at the club. We we appear to be addressing those things, so... Um, so fingers crossed and uh, fingers crossed for United on Saturday Philippe a pleasure as always uh, pleasure Andrew you take care thank you to Philippe you know where to find him on Twitter he is at Philippe Auclair that is at Philippe Auclair and we will catch up with him again as the season goes on some interesting stuff going on though behind the scenes right Sven and Raoul are they here are they here to help are they here to take over we shall see it's hard to think that Arsene Wenger would uh, do anything other than be on board with this to be fair it makes his life easier right surely it makes his life easier if he's got a good guy uh, who can go get players that he wants and the other the other guy is like going look at this guy he's fucking great we should get him before anybody else gets him or before we have to pay 60 million pounds for him i mean who wouldn't want that help not even Arsene Wenger, as stubborn as he is, could turn that down. So let's hope it's a positive thing. Right, we're going to talk more about what's coming up this weekend with Manchester United right after this. Mesut Ozil, nicking a living. Mesut Ozil, nicking a living. Mesut, nicking. Ozil, Ozil, nicking. Nicking a living. Nicking a living. I'm Neil Ashton. Nicking a living. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we welcome our next guest to the show, just wanted to note something uh, that I saw during the Huddersfield game and something that I've noticed quite a bit uh, since he joined the club. But Kalasinak is... He's kind of like the first guy there to celebrate when we score a goal almost all the time. When you look at the pictures and you see Alexis running away or Ozil running away or Lacazette running away, like the guy closest to him almost all the time is Kalasinek. Maybe it's because he's actually closest. I don't know. Maybe it's because a lot of goals come down his side, but I just thought it was... uh it was quite interesting in my head, and now that I mentioned it and said it out loud, I realize it's not that interesting at all. But anyway, you can tell me if you've noticed that before or not, or if it matters, or if it doesn't, it probably doesn't. So look, we're playing Manchester United on Saturday, Saturday evening, Arsene Wenger against Jose Mourinho. They sit four points ahead of us in the table at this moment in time. A win would haul them back into us, and we have a very decent home record to protect as well. Some good momentum at home, clean sheets, we're scoring goals. So fingers crossed we can uh, do the business. But with me to discuss the game, to discuss United from their perspective and a bit of what's going on in general this season, I'm joined now by Musa Okwanga. Hi, Musa. Hi there. Great to speak to you again. Let's look at where Manchester United are and uh, let's look at it in the context of this season because under normal circumstances you would say that they've made a very, very good start to the season. I think they've won 10 games of their 14, drawn two, lost two, scoring goals, playing well. 32 points from 14 games is not bad at all, but everything that's happening this season is being overshadowed by what uh, Manchester City are doing. Right, absolutely. It's actually one of United's best starts to a Premier League season in, in a few years, I think. But just because City have been blowing teams away... You just have to think that this season will come down to firepower more than it might count down to defence. And, you know, this this eight-point lead, it's not it's certainly not unassailable, but at this point of the season, you think that United are going to need a bit of luck to haul them back in. Yeah, well, everyone's going to need a bit of luck to haul them back in. And if they keep scoring last-minute winners, as they have right. been doing the last few weeks, I mean, there's something about that, isn't there, when you look at a team that can do that, that keeps going. People talk about... I mean, it was one of the, the hallmarks of Arsenal when Arsenal were winning titles. It was a hallmark of United when United were winning titles, the old Fergie time goals. But there is something more to it than just being lucky and, and the referee playing a bit longer than he should. There is something in the character of a team that allows them to keep going and to score those kind of late goals and, and vital late goals as well. Absolutely. And what's interesting about City, um, as you know, with Arsenal and United in previous years, is these late goals, very often, you know, some one two of them have been sort of chance deflections, but generally speaking, they're well-constructed goals. Uh, there was one, I think, that, I think it was Tevez scored a very late one um, in the title race a few years back, and Nasri put him through for it. And just the construction of the finish, it was just a team mm. that basically plays its own style to the to the bitter end, basically. I mean, that's how City won the league, isn't it? I mean, the goal they won the league with was very well constructed. And I think that's a testament to how Guardiola has got them playing with real freedom, 
but also with incredible discipline and patience. And they're being rewarded for that every week. Mm. It's hard to look beyond them for the title, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you obviously understand in football anything can happen and lots can happen. There's a, a fair chunk of this season left to go, but it does feel like the rest of us are playing for second at best. I think that's right. I mean, if you look at it, when Chelsea, with a much smaller squad, got their noses out in front, um, you know, before, they mm. absolutely sort of ran away with the league. And that was a smaller squad. And the thing about City is they've got incredible depth with their playmakers. If De Bruyne goes out, you've still got Silva there, you've still got Gundogan. You know, it, it's it's unbelievable. And the Bernardo Silva, who we barely even talk about, he's come off the bench. He's you know, good enough to play for any team to yeah. start, for any team in the world, really. So it, it's difficult to look before, be, beyond them. And I just think that you know, United will need a bit of luck and it'll have to start on December 10th uh, when they come up against them. Yeah, that's a big, big game. Of course, could have a fair a fair impact on, on how this season progresses. And obviously the game against Arsenal this weekend is one which could have uh, a significant impact on the table as well. There's a four-point gap at this moment in time between Arsenal and Manchester United. United out in front. If Arsenal win, that's down to a point. If United win, we're looking at a seven-point gap. How, how do you view United coming into this game? Traditionally, of course, Mourinho's teams are, are deemed quite negative. I think there's still that to the way that he manages and the way that he sets his teams up. I don't think there's any way that you can escape that. But when you look at what the, the I don't know if they're necessarily a front three, but certainly the forward players, what they're doing, Lukaku scoring goals, Martial is scoring goals, Rashford's chipping in with goals. The, uh, the, the firepower is there. Yes, absolutely. The firepower's there. I think, you know, Pogba's return is huge for United. No question about that. Having said that, this is an away game. And Mourinho in bigger away games is generally very cautious no matter who he's got up front. And unfortunately, the pattern might follow something similar to the Liverpool game where United sat deep, looked for a chance, you know, late in the half. And then if they got something, they could really open up their play. But in the golden current, so United didn't really um, make much sort of more of an enterprising effort after that. And I think, you know, even with the loss of Lacazette for Arsenal, I think you'll see a similar pattern. I don't know if United will come out and really look for this um, beyond the first 10 minutes. They seem to have a kind of early 10-minute flurry and sort of sit deep again. So I think you might see a similar pattern uh, the weekend. Yeah. How is it, I mean, how is Mourinho being viewed now? I mean, there was talk of PSG. I mean, he wasn't necessarily uh, terribly subtle, was he, when he started talking about PSG a few weeks back? Um, and, and, you know, for a club that has, for many years, perhaps not in the last couple of years, but certainly under Ferguson, prided itself on the the attacking football that it plays and that was where it was supremely strong and 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 really impressive and uh, how are fans viewing Mourinho's tenure at this moment in time I mean unquestionably people are happier than they were under mm. Van Hall and, and Moyes uh, which is not saying too much unfortunately I think there is a sense um, despite people being happy you know, second in the league and you know, still doing well in the Champions League um, there's still a sense that he may not get the very best out of United's forward players. If you look at players like Mkhitaryan, whose confidence has just you know, atrophied in the last couple of years, really, um, you have to look at Mkhitaryan and think, actually, in a different team, you know, let's say under someone like Wenger or under someone like Guardiola, he'd be doing a lot better um, because he is a confidence player. You look at Martial and Rashford. Martial's scoring a tremendous amount of goals at the moment. I just wonder if... Mourinho is the is the manager to get the very best out of talents like Rashford. Mm. Um, I'm not convinced that he is.
Um, I think that's the kind of extra gear that United are lacking in the very biggest matches. Yeah, I think the the one thing that springs to mind for me when you think about Mourinho, when you think about the attacking players and the way that the way that he inhibits them, and I think Mkhitaryan's a great example of that uh, in the sense of you know when he when he came, it, it was a big signing, came from Dortmund. Everybody's going, well, look, this guy is just a really exciting player. Mm. From the very beginning, he's done nothing to to build him up as a player he always seems to want to put him down and some players will respond to that we know some players will say look I'm going to prove you wrong other players they just won't respond to that they can't they need a different style of management he doesn't seem to be able to do that and then you look at what Kevin De Bruyne is doing at Manchester City and the fact that he was right. at Chelsea that that perhaps his recognition of what he's got when it comes to attacking talent is is not quite what it should be for a coach of his experience well, exactly. You've got Mohamed Salah, who's the top scorer yeah. in in the Premier League. You know, this is a guy Mourinho sold. It's just unbelievable, really. You know, he absolutely burns through attacking talent. And the truth is, to be honest, a lot of footballers just don't want that whole confrontational nonsense. They just want to play football. I think De Bruyne said something similar when he left for Wolfsburg. He couldn't be bothered with it. He just wanted to play football. And he's just playing football now without complications and, and with freedom. And look at him. And it's funny because you look at Mkhitaryan now at United and you look at think, oh, this guy can't orchestrate an attack. Whereas that's what he did. He was the brain of that Dortmund attack under, under Tuchel. That Dortmund attack was one of the best attacks German football, well, European football has ever seen. And, the, and they ran uh, Munich incredibly close that year. And people here in Germany were absolutely astonished by the football he was playing. 20-odd 20, 20 goals and like about yeah. 30 assists that season before he came the absolute brain of the attack and you look at him at United and he seems to be feeding off scraps and can't complete a pass can't play the ball through the lines can't lead a counter-attack I mean it's just utterly devoid of confidence and the worst thing is leading German football journalists said this they said this man has to be carefully handled you have to put an arm around him and he turned up at Old Trafford it's almost as if Mourinho said to himself look it's not going to be that way I've bought you and you're a player that's needed to be coddled and I'll pull you into line. A bit like a kind of 1950s matrix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just utterly bizarre and reductive. Utterly bizarre. I think it's interesting when you talk about De Bruyne playing with freedom, though. You know, what, one of the things I think we recognise with Pep Guardiola is, of course, he wants his teams to attack. He wants them to express themselves. He allows them to express themselves. But within fairly rigid structures, I think, that he yeah, does, he, dr- yeah. he drills his players as much perhaps as Mourinho does, but there is the ability or the desire for them to, uh, I guess, to express themselves, as I said, but to to be able to harness what they're really good at rather than having to restrict or inhibit themselves uh, just to fit into a system. Well, that's that great Thierry Henry video um, where he talks about Guardiola being very rigid until you get into the final third. And he said, look, his entire philosophy was based upon getting you all into the final third. So Henry would be out, you know, on the left touchline. He said, look, you've got to have this right. You've got to make your transitions. I've got to have 15 passes from defence to attack. And once you're there, you know, go mm. wild, basically. Um, but that mentality is really, really interesting because you look at someone like Ander Herrera, for example, who's been one of the sort of better creative forces for United in recent um, seasons. And now he can't complete a pass into the final third, really. Not, not with consistency, because his game is so reactive and so defensive now that you no longer look to Herrera as being a playmaker. And the danger with that, of course, is that you look at the United um, midfield and you think, mm, yes, Matic can definitely play a good pass, but the primary consistent 
attacking threat is Paul Pogba. Yeah. The danger of that, of course, you, you nullify Pogba, you nullify United. And United have put themselves in this mess. Whereas you look at someone like, uh, you know, look at Man City, they've got multiple playmakers, multiple players capable of breaking the lines with a run, with a pass, uh, with movement. And United don't have that. And that's why I'm concerned about their prospects this season. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you wonder as well, will he at some point do something similar to Pogba or if Pogba's force of personality is such that he won't allow that to, to I don't happen think that will happen. I think there are certain players who are just impervious to Mourinho. I think Rashford <laughs> is one of them. You can't, you can't really, you know what I mean? You can't really yeah. bother Rashford. You can't really bother Pogba. They'll just be like, oh, roll your eyes and get on with it. Same with, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, my, only can, my only sort of wonder is why he buys the more sensitive players at all, because he clearly knows they're more sensitive. I, and I hate to say, I think Mourinho just likes having someone to kind of bully go up against. I think, I think, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. He, it's a pattern with him, isn't it? He seems to pick so many fights with his players. It's just, I mean, it would be comical if it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't so damaging. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. But I think that's how he, that's how he enforces his authority or feels like that's the way he needs to enforce his authority. It's like, look, look what I can do to this guy. So if the rest of you don't fall into, into line, this is what could happen to you. But like you said, there's some players who just uh, impervious to Mourinho. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that idea. It's like they're sort of, they've had, uh, got an immunity or they've had an injection, a vaccine. Mm. Pre-Marino, he seems like, to like. He, he seems to like that too. Yeah. It's really odd. It's so Freudian. I'll buy players that resist me and also players that can't resist me. I mean, it, it, is, <laughs> it is a bit Freudian, I have to say. Uh, just very quickly, what have you what have you made of Arsenal so far this season? I think it's uh, it's been an interesting time because obviously uh, th- there's been some criticism, there's been some poor results, there have been some poor performances. But when you look at the table. It, it sort of r- reminds you that it's not quite as bad as as people think. I, I, it's the tenure. Arsenal, that's classic Arsenal. Yeah, it's never as bad as people think, and it's never as good. Mm. It's and th- that's Arsenal. That's and I, when I say that, I say that with respect. That sort of late era, late era Wenger. Yeah, I just want to qualify that because obviously, you know, the early early Wenger Arsenal was a completely different proposition, and frankly, a terrifying one. Um, and I think, you know, Granit Xhaka is, is a wonderful footballer. You know, this is a guy who, when I was watching him for Mönchengladbach in Germany, was absolutely, he's a terrific player. And he's a classic example of what happens when a player is in the wrong configuration or in the wrong tactical setup and just sure. the wrong, you know, the wrong um, psychology. Uh, you know, devastating further news about Santi Cazorla. I mean, mm. that's just awful. That's just awful. And Cazorla's absence has shown really the lack the, the balance that he brings to the Arsenal side that's really just a tragic loss and I hope you know that that's resolved soon enough um, obviously really excited by Iwobi, um and slightly slightly finding a bit bizarre watching the machinations of Sanchez you know does he want to stay does he want to go it's all very odd um, but I do I must I do love a quick word for uh, Kolasinac who I think is a terrific player and just the kind of player that Arsenal need you look at Arsenal as a side and think they need this tough, sturdy, creative, dependable figure. Actually, the kind of player that Liverpool should have been crying out for, frankly. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, with Arsenal again, you know, if you even just look at the league table, what, 428 against 16? Mm. That tells a story of a team really struggling to find itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, a team, you know, this is, this is classic Arsenal on their day would blow away any team in Europe. That front three, you know, Sanchez, Ozil, Lacazette is it's devastating, actually, mm. in the right configuration. Um, 
but again with Arsenal you just never know and again with United to be fair with United and Arsenal you just don't quite know who's going to turn up do you no you don't quite know you don't yeah. well we'll find out soon enough um, obviously I hope uh, I hope it goes one way you the other but as ever a pleasure to talk to you Musa thanks very much yes and, and as ever as I always say this may the best team win thank you so much you can follow Musa on Twitter if you like at Okwanga that is at Okwanga He's such a gentleman as well, isn't he? May the best team win, he says. It's uh, it's sporting. It's fundamentally decent. I wish, I wish I was that good of a person because I, I just want Arsenal to win and I don't care if we're the best team or not. In fact, there's like a really small part of me that hopes we're by far the worst team, but somehow we still win because that would really annoy Jose Mourinho. I mean, I'm sitting here now in front of my microphone thinking about what it would be like if if they did really play better than us, a lot better than us, if we were terrible and somehow we won with an offside goal that, that was handball as well, where there was a very blatant foul in the build-up to the goal. I mean, it would be just magical, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be magical? I mean, as much as I would like us to play amazingly and win because we deserve to win, to play beautiful football, scintillating football, exciting, attacking football. I mean, look, I'm on board with that as well. But that other thing, that's tempting, isn't it? If someone said, like, pay 200 euros now and that's what will happen, I'd definitely pay it. I'd probably go as far as, like, 500, 1,000 maybe. Like, if it was definitely going to happen and it was going to wreck Mourinho's head, I'd be like, I would. I'd pay that money. I'm sorry. There's only so many times in your life where you could see him standing in front of those cameras and just being unable to control himself, filled with bitterness and resentment, rage, rage against the dying of the light. But instead of the dying of the light, whichever referee it is that is refereeing our game on Saturday, I would, I would pay good money for it. I promise you, I would. And like, you could all thank me afterwards and say, hey, that was, that was really great of you. You made that happen for us. I would, I'd do it for all of you because I care. I really do care. I care so much that I'm about to end this particular broadcast, this particular podcast. Thank you, as ever, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, you can give us a rating or a review on iTunes. That would be swell. We'd appreciate that, but you don't have to, only if you want to. And remember to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcasting app you use. You just search for Arsblog or Arscast. All your subscriptions make a difference. Let's keep fingers crossed that we've got a very good weekend ahead of us, that there's rage... The Rage of Jose. Uh, Let's hope that that all plays out um, one way or the other, whether it's to do with injustice or to do with being played off the park. I don't care which way, just once it happens. Uh, James and I will be here. We'll have an Arsecast Extra for you on Monday. Until then, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Arsenal Football Club today announced the appointment of former German international Gunter Fistenus as the new Regional Strategic Management Consultant of Footballing Requirements with responsibility for dynamic interactive legacy progression and internal corporate implementation integration directives. Chairman Sir Chips Keswick said, Why didn't we just call him Director of Football? <laughs> Sir Chips, what a card you are. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.